0: Okay, welcome Scatbird. Scott Bridwell. It's the podcast. So today, I want to do something a little different. Uh, normally in my podcast, I'll have a conversation with somebody. And today, I want to do a little different. I want to do a little monologue. And before I get started, this is going to be about the Bible. And so if you're not a Bible person... I would encourage you just to listen to something I'm about to share because it could be a little controversial. If you are a Bible person, I want you to listen as well. And I want you to, uh, if, if there's some error in something I'm saying, point it out to me. Let me know because I, I want to know if I've got error. All right. So let's get started. Um, the book of John. The book of John is probably the most beloved book of the Bible. As far as, you know, if you ask uh, any preacher, any teacher, what's the one book that a new Christian should read, they're going to say, read the book of John. And that's just what it is. And that's because John does a really, uh, does a lot of work to bring about the divinity and to pr- try and prove the divinity of Jesus. I mean, he starts out with John, uh, the very first chapter, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God, and he goes on about the word becoming flesh. That when God spoke into existence creation, that that was actually Jesus, and then he, those words became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's he's very much trying to put across this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he doesn't have a genealogy like some of the others do. He doesn't go through the the, the birth narrative. He actually catches up with Jesus. As he's getting started in his ministry, so and about thirty, he's about thirty years old at the time, and he does that by going through this guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this uh, itinerant preacher that's out there. He lived in the woods, and um, the rabbis and the teachers and the priests all come to him. And they're like, "Are you Elijah?" He says, "I am not." "Are you a prophet?" He answered, "No." Finally, they said, "Who are you? Give us an answer, so we can take back to those who sent us." And John replied in the words of the Isaiah the prophet, "I am the voice of one calling in the." In the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. So that's who he's saying he is. He's he's just this preacher that's just saying, hey, make straight the way for the Lord. And uh, then this happened. Verse 28 of chapter 1. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this is the one I meant." When I said, a man comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. So, again, he's saying, this guy comes after me, he surpasses me because he's before me. Remember, in the beginning was the Word. That's what John's doing here. But John the Baptist introduced this idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, what John does with that, and what a lot of people have done with that, is this Lamb of God. What's the Lamb of God? What does that mean? Well, that goes back to the Passover meal or the Seder or what you, uh, what a lot of Christians have derived their uh, communion from. Remember when Jesus had the cup and the bread? It goes back to that. And that took place on the Passover. And what John is trying to put forward is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. John goes so far to do that, that he actually has Jesus dying, being crucified on the day of Passover. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important to me because the other Gospels have him being crucified the day after Passover. But John needs Jesus to die on the day of Passover so he can get this idea of the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, across to you. Now. It's a literary device. I get that. Is it that important? Because he's wanting to get this idea. He's got this concept. He's wanting you to grasp it. It wouldn't be if we're talking about Homer and the Odyssey and the Iliad. It wouldn't be if we're talking about Plato. It wouldn't be if it was a passage or a book that I wasn't making life-changing decisions on. Because my question that comes up to me is, if John can change the day that Jesus died, what else can John change? It's a good question, right? What I'm going to point out to you next is, let's go and see, what's this Lamb of God? Let's go to, back to the Jewish scriptures. Let's go to Exodus. What I'm going to point out to you is a couple things. One, the sacrificial system was not in place while the Jews were in Egypt. See, so this isn't part of the sin sacrifice of the sacrificial system. Two, another thing I want to point out to you, not all sacrifices were for sin. They weren't. Another thing I want to point out to you, the sacrifices that were for sin were for unintentional cl- sins. Sins I didn't know I was committing, sins I didn't realize I'd committed. Because you know, I'm I'm learning. I don't know. Maybe I'd done something I didn't know. What about sins where I knew I'd sinned? Maybe I cheated on my wife. Maybe I stole from my neighbor. Maybe I didn't pay my employees on time. Those were all laws. And uh, I knew I did that. There was no sacrifice for that. I could not go to the temple and sacrifice anything for the forgiveness of that sin. That's where I do Teshuvah. And that's a whole new topic. We can talk about teshuva if you want to know about it. Uh, call me, text me, email me, message me. I'll tell you more about teshuva. But that's how you took care of those sins. Another thing about the sacrificial system, not all sacrifices were blood sacrifices. In some sacrifices, I poured out water. In some sacrifices, I let an animal go. Not In some sacrifices, I brought flour. And I dumped it out. Not all sacrifices were sin sacrifices. Okay, and back to my original point, the most important point is that the sacrificial system was not in place at the time of the Exodus. So why John thinks, oh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's a perfect sacrifice. This wasn't a sin sacrifice. It wasn't. Now, what was the Lamb of God? Well, we get a little bit of an idea when you go back into um, Exodus chapter 8. Did you know also the name of Exodus? The Hebrew name for Exodus is the names. It's, it's, not, about, it's not about the Exodus. It was a bunch of white guys in Europe that came by and said, hey, we're going to call this the Exodus. Um, So Moses has been trying to negotiate with Pharaoh about letting his people go. And one of the negotiations in that process was, hey, just let us go and worship and make sacrifices and offerings to our God. He wants us to do that. Can you at least let us do that? Moses, Pharaoh doesn't want to let them do that, because if he lets them go out into the wilderness, they might escape. They've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and he doesn't want them to get away. Okay, so now, here's what happens in chapter 8. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses, uh, one of the plagues came by, remember there's ten plagues, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land, here in this land. But Moses said, that would not be right the sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Okay, so that brings another question. The sacrificial system is not in place, but they're going to go do sacrifices. And they're... But they don't want to do it inside the land of Egypt. Why? Because it would be detestable to the Egyptians. So why would the Egyptians be detested or upset or to the point where they want to kill the Jews if they offer their sacrifices to their God? Good question. Well, the answer is, and you can look this up. you got your phone. Just hit pause. Slip over to your Google browser and look this up. Look up sheep deity in Egypt. What you would find out is that they had a god named Amun-Ra. Amun-Ra. A-N-U-M hyphen R-A. He was a sun god. And he wore a ram's head, on like a helmet, like a ram's head on his head. And uh, to them, the ram, the goat the sheep, they were all in the same family and they were considered to be divine. They were considered to be sacred. They were holy. They, they, uh, it was, You did not eat them. You didn't do those type of things. They don't do that. And so Moses and Aaron are afraid that, hey, if, if our people go and sacrifice these sheep and these ram and these goat to our God, your people's going to be upset because we're, we're taking your God Killing it and sacrificing it to our God. Hmm. So that's interesting, isn't it? Fast forward after the ninth plague. Um, Pharaoh still won't let the people go, and God instructs Moses that four days. Before the day they're to leave, they're to go get a ram or a goat or a sheep, and they're to keep it four days. Then, on the day before they're about to leave, they're to sacrifice them, they're to kill them, and then they're to roast them whole over an open fire, and then they're to eat it in a hurried manner, because they're about to leave, right? He wants their shoes on. He wants a staff in their hand, and they eat it in a hurried manner. And then they're to take the blood of this ram, this goat, or this sheep, and they paint it on their doorposts and their lentils. I don't know if you ever put blood on wood like that, but it stains it. Why is that? Because God over and over and over again during the plagues and preparing Egypt to leave, each plague was a direct hit at at their gods. And Ra was considered Lord of all. Anum Ra is considered the greatest God they had. And here the children of Israel are taking it. They're killing it. They're roasting it so that you can s- roast in it whole. so that when you look over and you see this thing roasting, there's no doubt as to what it is. You know what's on that spick being roasted, and then they're going inside and eat it, and then they paint that blood. This wasn't a sacrificial lamb. This was an in-your-face, my God, the 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 Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is greater than your Lord of all. So much so that we put it in your face. I don't know how John makes this leap. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. Because the Lamb of the God Ra was destroyed. It was a sign from the God Almighty. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm I'm left perplexed. Does John not know his Hebrew? Obviously, John's not Jewish. I mean, the the text, the best that we know, is written in Greek. We can't find any Aramaic or Hebrew versions of that text. So it's written in Greek. It's written to a Greek writer, but obviously the writer has no knowledge of Jewish history, has no knowledge of the Torah, has no knowledge of, of, of the Seder meal, of what that's about. He obviously has no knowledge of that. There's several things in the book of John that trouble me. The I am statements. Would a Jew really commit and say the I am statements? Take John chapter 3 right there, about verse uh, 13 when Jesus is speaking and all of a sudden it turns to third person. Is that Jesus speaking anymore when he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish have everlasting life. He's speaking in third person again. So I don't know what, I mean, if John can take the liberties that he takes in changing the death the day that Jesus died, what other liberties can he take? Oh, one of the most beloved stories in all the Bible is found in the book of John, the woman that's caught in adultery. It's not in the earliest and best manuscripts of the book of John. It's just not there. But later on, in the later manuscripts, the one that probably less reliable, we find it. You don't believe me? Go look in your Bible. If you have a study Bible, go go look that passage up and look in your footnotes, and it will tell you this isn't in the best and most. So there you go. Book of John, I got a problem with. Now, those of you who are theologians and those of you who are uh, versed in Scripture, I do welcome the critique. You know, is there something I'm missing? Was there a sacrificial system in place? No, not the one that we find in Leviticus. And just because somebody's committing a sacrifice doesn't mean that they were in sin. I mean, you sacrifice when you tithe. That doesn't mean you're committed to sin. You sacrifice when you go and feed the poor and the hungry. That's not sin. So not all sacrifices are sin sacrifices. And to Paul's point that without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, Paul should know better, right? I got... I'll bring up things about Paul later. Paul should know better, because evidently he studied under a great master rabbi. There's plenty of sacrifices, and there's plenty of things that don't require the remission of blood. And if that was true, Paul, then what happens in the diaspora? What happens when the temples are destroyed? Because they've already been destroyed once and twice. So, I, anyways, there you go. All right, my friends, thank you. Hope you enjoy it. Talk to you later. Bye.